Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. It's Murphy Houston. Welcome back to another edition of Mile High Magazine as we talk to things that concern you that are going on in our community that might have to do with your health and living in Colorado. And my guest today is Dr. Ken Cohen, who's the Chief Medical Officer with New West Physicians in Golden. And of course, he's a board certified in uh, internal medicine. And Dr. Cohen, he said I could call him Ken. Is that right, Ken? I can call you Ken? That is correct. I prefer that. Well, good. Uh, Welcome to Mile High Magazine. We appreciate you coming in. But I was telling Ken, I've been here a long time, and I've never heard of New West Physicians. Tell us about that. Sure. So New West Physicians has been around for 24 years. Um, We're a group of primary care providers, and we have grown to uh, 20 practice sites and 135 physicians and uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants, and we take care of over 200,000 patients in the Denver metro area. 200,000? I must be living in a cave. <laughs> no, we tend one. to be low profile. Well, that, well, that's great. And how do people reach out to you if they want uh, to join up there? We have a, a great website, um, nwphysicians.com, that has all sorts of helpful information, including a lot of the things that we'll talk about this morning. And you're one of the founders of this, I understand. That's correct. Yeah, good for you. Congratulations. Well, kind of the theme today, uh, Ken, is summertime, fun time, but there's injuries to watch out for. And, of course, the nasty sun exposure, which is probably a problem in Colorado all year round. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Well, what is, I'm curious about the injuries. I remember growing up, there was a lot of sprained ankles and wrists and stuff. As I get older, I get lazy, probably not as many injuries. But what do you see during the summer? What, what do the new physicians see? Well, it depends a lot upon what you like to do. So, for example, if you're a hiker, um, we see lots of ankle sprains and knee sprains. A uh, real good way to handle that is to use hiking poles, uh, particularly going downhill. Hiking poles can be enormously helpful to protect knees and ankles. Uh, for the bicyclists, unfortunately, we see a lot of road rash and some broken clavicles and um, occasionally some head injuries, although hopefully all the cyclists are using helmets. Uh, water skiers, we see a lot of hamstring injuries from high-speed water skiing falls. So it really depends mostly on what you like to do. Did you say hamstrings from water skiing? Correct. I've That's never a, heard of that. I mean, yeah. I was a water skier in my younger days, uh, raised on a lake in Wisconsin, but never heard of hamstrings. How does that happen? Uh, just a matter of how you fall. You can stretch or tear your hamstring, and it is a nasty injury. Oh, no kidding. I've done that playing sports, but never water skiing. Yeah, That's a long. That's a long heel. A very long heel. Is there any way you can prevent that while water skiing? Well, you need to stretch real well beforehand, but other than that, that's just a matter of taking a high-speed fall, so you just need to ski within your limits. And, you know, for most of the injuries that we see in the summer, if people are mindful of their limitations and stay within their athletic limits, they tend to hurt themselves a lot less frequently. Well, don't you agree if, as summer approaches, in the wintertime you should start actually physically doing some stuff so that you're prepared to do hiking, golfing, water skiing, whatever. Absolutely. That's a great point. Preconditioning is a very, very important attribute that keeps you from becoming injured. No matter what age. Mm, Absolutely. Is it worse when you get older? Because I'm older. I'm right there with you. And the answer is yes, it is worse as you get older, and it takes longer to heal. I was afraid you were going to say that. (laughs) That doesn't make me too happy. So what's the best way for our folks to avoid these summer injuries? Well, as I said, preconditioning is great. Um, Stretching beforehand. And most importantly, it's really a matter of knowing your limits. Um, you know, a lot of us fall into the weekend warrior syndrome oh, where, yeah, right. you know, we're predominantly sedentary. 
And uh, all of a sudden, the weekend hits, and and we're out there, you know, hammering it hard, and and you know that's the time that people tend to get injured. Yes, it it is, and as you said earlier, the older you get, the worse it is. So be prepared for that. The one I think that affects everybody, no matter what the age, is exposure to sunlight. I mean, even during cloudy days, you can get messed up. Yeah, here I'm going to need to get a little scientific, but I'll try to make it simple because it really is important. Um, so there are two types of solar radiation. Uh, There's UVB and there's UVA. Uh, Only 10% of solar radiation is UVB, but UVB is the one that's responsible for sunburns, so everybody is familiar with it. Right. Now, clouds will block UVB and glass will block UVB, so in those circumstances, people don't get burned. But 90% of solar radiation is UVA, and it's UVA that causes aging and damage to the skin, and it's also UVA that's responsible for skin cancer, and UVA is not blocked by clouds, and it's not blocked by glass. So it is critical when you're choosing a sunscreen that you look for one that says broad spectrum. If it says broad spectrum, then it covers both UVA and UVB. Does that S BF thing make a difference, 30, 50, 100? You know, it does, but that's also a little scientific. It's what's called a log scale. So an SPF 15 blocks 94% of solar radiation, and an SPF 30 only blocks 97%. So you don't get that much incremental blockage as you go up on the SPF scale. It's much more important to make sure that it's broad spectrum. And you recommend, I would surely think, that you wear sunscreen every day. I lather up my face Every day. Then in the summertime, my arms. Then if I play golf, then, you know, the rest of it. But my head every day. (laughs) (laughs) No, it, it, you know, really is important. And, you know, one of the easiest ways to do that is there are a lot of moisturizing lotions now that you need in Colorado, and the moisturizing lotions will have an SPF 15 sunscreen. Uh, But, again, the key is broad spectrum because if you're only looking at SPF, you're only talking about sunburn but not protection from skin cancer. SPF broad spectrum, right? Correct. Broad spectrum. I never knew that before. Thanks for, for that tip. Does uh, your family background have anything to do with it, your skin type? Like, I'm Irish, and I just light up with my fair skin. Are some people better off with their skin type than others? Yes. The darker your skin complexion, the more resistant you are from sunburn, but not necessarily from sun cancer. Uh-huh. So it is important to make sure that you're using the broad spectrum sunscreen for cancer and aging. A lot of the skin aging that you see is related to solar radiation. Wow. Didn't know that. So even if you put moisturizer on, basic, like you said, has some SPF stuff in there, it's still good for the aging process. Correct. Because I even, I hate to say this, I use my wife's lotion every once in a while. And I well, look what it's doing for you. Maybe that'll help me. So I guess I'm doing the right thing. Well, generally women are much more attentive to these things oh, than men. So that's a good thing no to doubt, do. No doubt about it. Well, what are some of the other ways we can protect ourselves from the sun besides sunscreen? Well, again, the some of the principles of using sunscreen are to use it properly. So you want to apply sunscreen about 15 to 30 minutes before sun exposure, and then you want to reapply every two to three hours. And then if you're going to be in the water, make sure that you get a water-resistant sunscreen. And this gets fairly complicated. There's a whole um, article on the science of sunscreens on the New West Physicians website that you can access through that same website. Um, Clothing is also important, and it doesn't have to be – you'll see a lot of clothing now that advertises itself as sunblock clothing. Uh, That's really not particularly relevant. It's the type of clothing that you're using. So long sleeves, obviously, when you want to protect yourself. Right. Um, So you're saying – because I've purchased clothes like that. It's not effective? 
It has SPF 20 in it. It is no more effective than the clothing that you're wearing right now. Well, you just took my day right down. <laughs> <laughs> All these golf shirts I've bought and hats. Uh, but I have wide-brim hats, though. That's not a bad idea, is it? No, that's great. You know, the, the, the best way to prevent sun is to block it entirely. So wide-brim habit is a great thing to do. What about uh, sunglasses? Uh, people say you should always wear sunglasses in Colorado because it could affect your eyes too much sun. Is that true? It is. Two things can happen. Um, first, you can actually burn the sclera, which is the, the clear coating over the eye. And people that have scleral sunburns are just miserable. Some of the most painful thing that, that you can ever have happen to you. But UV radiation also accelerates cataracts. And by using sunglasses, you can help prevent the development of cataracts later in life. Wow. What was that first thing, that burn thing? It's a burn? You can actually sunburn your eyes. I never heard of that. And those folks are miserable. I see it a lot in the wintertime because you have the added bouncing off of the snow, so you have a sure. double whammy, and it's just miserable. So you recommend at any age probably to wear sunglasses anytime you're outside. Yeah, and particularly for kids, and, and sometimes it's hard to get little kids to keep sunglasses on. Yeah. And that's another time that wide-brim hats are a very good idea. I, I want to go back. I, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, about the sunscreen. You say put it on a half hour before you go out, but don't you have to replenish after a few hours? Correct. Every two to three hours, you should reapply. Just want to make sure we got that point out there. And the other thing that we talk about that really affects people, and I'm really bad about this, is staying hydrated, especially this time of the year. It's like, oh, I don't need water. And all of a sudden, you start feeling, wow, I'm a little lightheaded. And it's not because I'm getting old. I think I need some water. So you, (laughs) (laughs) it's a... It's an important key to this, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a double whammy in Colorado uh, just because we tend to have warm weather in the summertime, but also because it's so dry, you don't necessarily recognize how much fluid you're losing. You know, for those of you that have been in humid environments, the sweat just pours off of you, and it's obvious. But in Colorado, it evaporates so fast, you may not be aware of it. So you do need to replace the amount of fluid that you're losing, and that can be tricky to do because you don't always know how much you're losing. Good idea. I mean, is there a typical amount of water you should drink every day? Let's say this time of year, since we're talking about that. Well, if you're inside and not physically active, then a quart and a half a day is all the average person needs. But depending on your level of activity, you may need three, four, five quarts. You know, the way that you can think about that is to just look at your urine. Um, If the urine is dark and concentrated, you're dehydrated. So you should be Hmm. emptying your bladder somewhat regularly, and the urine should be fairly pale as opposed to dark, and that'll tell you that you're well hydrated. That's a true test since you, you know, when I play golf, I'm talking about that a lot of yesterday, I drink a lot, a lot of water, but I don't go to the bathroom. So I'm thinking, wow, it must just be going right, as soon as I put it in, it must be going right out. Exactly. You're replenishing the water that you need, but you're not getting excess water. Uh, but the, the medical condition of heat illness is the three syndromes that I described, heat cramps, heat exhaustion, and heat stroke. And how do you prevent any of that, sun poisoning? That's a matter of sunscreens and hydration. So It all comes back to that, it seems to me, right? Protect yourself. Well, my gosh, it's, it's not good. Now, summer is kind of synonymous with vacation, but vacation can lead to travel illness. And we're just coming off the 4th of July, and they said 44 million Americans were traveling the country. What kind of illnesses are we talking about? Well, there's a few. Um, you know, one thing to think about in Colorado is um, illnesses that are caused by insects. So uh, those of you might remember, oh, five, seven years ago, we had a bad outbreak of West Nile disease. And, you know, that can be a very, very severe viral infection. Uh, there's also uh, Colorado tick fever and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. 
So those are all uncommon infections but can be very serious, and that's just a matter of adequate mosquito protection. And if you're hiking in the woods, make sure you check for ticks when you come back. Uh, sometimes travel can be associated with gastrointestinal infections, you know, typically diarrheal illnesses. Uh, neurovirus is one of those, and that's mostly where people are concentrated. Uh, so summer camps, um, large multi-day camping events, uh, cruise ships are common for neurovirus. Yeah, you hear that in the news all the time. Sure, yeah. And that's a self-limited infection, but it's pretty nasty for three to five days. And that's just a matter of lots and lots of fluids and just modium to control diarrhea. Um, let's get back to some of the insects. Is Are mites a problem here? You hear about mites or Lyme's disease. Is that a problem in Colorado? That's a great question. Uh, there, there actually is no Lyme disease in Colorado. Uh, there needs to be intermediate hosts to carry the Lyme vector that aren't present in Colorado. So the great news is we have no Lyme disease. And mites predominantly cause um, a condition called chiggers. And fortunately, we don't have chiggers either. Um, those occur at lower altitudes. They disappear at about six to 7,000 feet. So we're mostly protected. And that's typically um, a chigger infestations we see farther east, but not in Colorado. Yeah. When I was raised in Wisconsin, chiggers was an issue. I yeah. mean, it was like, if you went swimming, you're going to get something. I don't know why, but you, you, you seem to have that and happen. They're to nasty, too. People oh. with chiggers are not happy campers. Oh, no. And then some of the mites, I'm interested in how you re- if a mite burrows in on your skin, isn't there a way to get it out? Do you happen to know? I mean, don't you have to, like, pull the back? No, they're, they're too tiny. There's a condition called scabies that's caused by mite scabies. infestations. Yeah, that's not necessarily scabies. a summertime infection, but, but they need to be treated with topical insecticides that are prescription. So that's something you need to see a doctor for. Wow. Some things to worry about. And it seems to me, how long have you lived in Colorado? Most of your life? Uh, no, just 25 years. Yeah, well, that's a fair amount. You're almost a pioneer (laughs) by these standards of living here that long. The mosquito situation here in Colorado, when I came here in 86, again, coming from Wisconsin, I remember buying our house, and we have an open porch in the back. And I remember telling the real estate agent, oh, i got to screen that in. I mean, mosquitoes all over. Well, no, we don't have mosquitoes. But the mosquito population is here, and it seems to be getting worse. Is that true? I don't know that it's getting worse. It depends year to year. Mosquitoes need standing water. So if you're up in the mountains where everything is flowing, you tend not to see mosquitoes. If you're hanging around a ranch where they've flooded the hay meadows, you can have the worst mosquitoes you've ever seen. So it varies a lot by location. And West Nile is a problem here. Varies year to year. Summer year are just awful. And, and fortunately, the past five years or so, it's been pretty mild. But but that's a bad illness. And, and when it's here, it's a serious issue. And how about, uh, I didn't hear much about it here, but in lower states like the Zika virus? That's a function of latitude, and it hasn't come this far north yet. So we don't have any Zika in Colorado. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it really is. But it, the key to that is really the sprays do work. Is there certain sprays you have to have, mosquito-type sprays? Is it DEET is important to have in it? or It depends how much protection you want. So there are some natural insecticides, uh, but they don't work that well. It's funny. The way you check insecticide uh, potency is you stick your arm in a box with 100 mosquitoes and count, <laughs> and count the number of bites you get in 10 minutes. So you, you can accurately tell, and, and most of the naturals have some protective effect. A DEET is still the most effective. Now, the only thing to remember about DEET is that in very high concentrations, it can potentially damage nerves, and that's particularly important for kids. Uh, so for children, you don't want to use DEET concentrations above 10%. 
Uh, adults, most of the insecticides now have deconcentrations in the 10 to 20% range. That is safe and effective. And the only time you need the 40, 50, 60% is just with severe mosquito infestations. Well, I didn't even know it went that high. I didn't know there were levels of DEET when I sprayed it on. You can actually get 100% DEET, but we don't recommend it just because it can be dangerous at that So that information is right on the can. Correct. Now, there are a lot of ingredients, so you have to look at that ingredient list, but what you want to focus on is what the percent concentration of DEET. And for adults, you're looking at 10 to 20% and kids less than 10%. Still, that's an issue. I mean, I know when we, again, play golf, they they urge you to to spray yourself up. Absolutely. And it seems, and that just happened the other day, and it seems we're in maybe not a true drought condition, but it's so dry. I didn't think that would be an issue with mosquitoes in the afternoon when it's, you know, it's 95 degrees. Well, it's an issue on golf courses because if you think about it, there's standing water on virtually all well, golf courses. there are. There's no doubt about that. And that's where the mosquitoes breed. And, you know, protective clothing is also critical. So if you're wearing long sleeves, it's that much less deep that you have to apply. Come on, Ken. I can't wear long sleeves and play golf <laughs> unless it's spring golf and it's about 45 degrees out there, which I have done. It would be a little hard after that. Let's get back to some of the summer traveling and doing with kids. Are there any precautions you need to do with kids to make the traveling easier? Or It's such a blessing now that we have these iPads and they can entertain themselves. <laughs> and they're, not, they're not whining every five miles. Are we almost there yet? But are there other precautions health-wise maybe we should be aware of? Uh, foods we need to travel with or obviously water in the car would be a big help. Sure. Yeah, and, and my expertise is certainly not in entertaining children, but in terms of keeping them healthy. <laughs> Again, um, sun protection is, is the most important. So uh, little kids who don't want to wear sunglasses, make sure you've got wide-brimmed hats on them. Uh, make sure that you're using a broad-spectrum sunscreen and that you're reapplying it and then keeping mindful of the low-concentration DEET for insects. And as you're traveling, I know there was a time when they recommended, like, what what is that? Medicine they give you and it kind of calms kids down over the counter. I can't all of a sudden it just blank my mind. You're thinking of bonine, the one for for motion bonine, sickness. Bonine, as I called it, that I called it bonine. That's probably why I can't think of it. Does that is that effective stuff to use? Is that smart to use that? Uh, if your if your child is prone to motion sickness, uh, then it is effective. The chemical name is called meclizine. It is over the counter, and for children, you can get a 12.5 milligram meclizine tablet that you could use two or three times a day as needed for motion sickness. It's mildly sedating. It's it's in the antihistamine category, uh, but it is safe and effective. Well, then maybe you should carry some of that with you. I and mean, it's good to have a first aid kit, I would think, too, as you travel with children. I mean, seriously, I don't know where you're going, but you never know with kids. I, I, I'm laughing, and again, it's because women are smarter than men. So so my first aid kit is about one quarter the size of my wife's first aid kit. Uh, but, but yes, the answer is absolutely. Just travel with a first aid kit. Any other advice of stuff we should have with us as far as traveling? Uh, prescription medications are important to think about. So lots of us are on prescription medications and make certain you have enough to carry through with the trip. So let's talk more about this, the sun situation in Colorado. Is it worse here because of the altitude than other parts of the country? Let's say they're leaving Colorado and they're going to Mississippi. Is there a difference as far as what you're talking about, the sun exposure, how much, how intense it is? Yeah, there's a huge difference. And there's two factors when it comes to UV exposure. One is the altitude. And there's no question the higher the altitude, the higher the UV exposure. And we're at much higher risk because of Colorado. The other is reflected UV. And if you remember earlier, I talked about in the wintertime. Right. So UV will reflect off of water surfaces or off of snow. So if you're either out on the water or in the snow, you have a double whammy in terms of UV exposure. 
And do, should you limit yourself as to how much you're out in the sun? I mean, I've heard people say, well, you probably shouldn't be out more than a couple hours a day directly. I mean, people, you're in and out of your car. It's probably not that effective as far as what sun damage can be done. Except I did have one doctor, a dermatologist, tell me the left side of your face is worse than the right side of your face with sun damage because the sun you drive and the sun comes in on that side of the car. What's fascinating is that the way that we found out that UVA was the cause of skin cancer is that we studied pilots. And the pilot always sits in the left seat, and the co-pilot always sits in the right seat. Very true. And the pilots were getting skin cancers on the left side of their face, and the co-pilots were getting skin cancers on the right side of their face. So it depends whether you're driving the car or whether you're a passenger in the car. But, you know, in answer to your question, we live in Colorado because we love to be outdoors. So I think as long as you're mindful of adequate clothing protection, broad-brimmed hats, and using sunscreens, you don't need to limit yourself in terms of outdoor activities. Well, there you go. But just be cautious is obvious. Um, I wanted to ask, too, we were talking about hydration, and I forgot to ask alcohol we did talk about, but what about sports drinks? I've heard, oh, yeah, it's got the electrolytes, or and I don't drink sports drinks, but are they effective as far as hydration? Do the electrolytes make any difference? You know, it's fascinating. There is a huge individual susceptibility to cramping with exercise. So, for example, my wife and I will go on a four-hour bike ride. I can hydrate with pure water, and I never cramp. If she doesn't hydrate with electrolytes, she will always cramp. Now, electrolytes are different than sport drinks. One of the problems with sport drinks is that some of them contain a lot of sugar. That's the problem. And the last thing that we need is to be taking increased simple sugars, which are not good for you. Uh, So you can get um, electrolyte tablets that you can mix in water that will provide electrolytes without providing sugar. And they're actually a better option. Yeah. They're tablets like over the counter? Sure. Yeah. All the bicycle shops sell them. REI sells them. So, yeah, they're not hard to find. And I don't know if you'll know the answer to this, Ken, but are there any sport drinks that might be effective that you can take that don't some have like less sugar now? And They do. You have to look at the labels. You know, when you look at grams of sugar, just be mindful that four grams of sugar is a teaspoon of sugar. So if you see that something has 16 grams per serving, you just dump four teaspoons of sugar into a glass of, of fluid. Uh, so look at the labels. And yes, some have much, much lower sugar content than others. Which is important at any age, not just children. Sure. Because I see moms looking at the shelf all the time about the sugar content, which is a really a smart thing to do. And getting back to some of the injuries, we, we're kind of moving around because things are now coming back into my head. If you have ankle injuries, knee injuries, shoulder injuries, in fact, the lady that inter- brought you back today for our little recording, Amanda, she had a she sprained her wrist, and I said, "Did you get that action?" Oh no, and she took off this bandage. I mean, it's like it's all swollen, it's black and blue. <laughs> I'm going, what are you doing? I mean, get it checked. Is that advisable, or do you just say, "Oh, it'll be better tomorrow"? You need to use some judgment. So, for example, with ankle injuries, if you can stand up and walk on it, there's a pretty good chance that you haven't broken it. Um, On the other hand, if there's a lot of swelling and a lot of bruising, that could indicate a fracture and should be looked at. You know, one of the things to keep in mind, and this is important all year long, but particularly important in the summer, is think about your pocketbook as well. And it's also relevant when you're traveling. Most minor illnesses and most sprains and strains can be seen at urgent care as opposed to the emergency room. And nothing will ruin the vacation faster than a $3,000 emergency room bill. (laughs) So, you know, if you have a minor injury or a minor illness, be mindful to go to an urgent care center and stay out of the emergency room. And that's particularly true in Colorado because we've got a lot of what are called freestanding emergency rooms that look like urgent care centers, but you'll stumble in there and, again, come out with a two $3,000 bill. So be careful. Well, be careful. And I'm glad you brought that up because that mistake, uh, my friends have made that mistake. You hear that all the time. 
well, I thought it was like an urgent care. But if you look at the building, on the building, it will say mostly urgent care or emergency room. That's correct. But even the ones that say emergency room look like urgent care. They do. They can be in shopping centers. And so you just need to beware. And I I have noticed, because I've done some appearances at the grand opening of some of these uh, locations, that the medical staff will remind you, you know, this is an emergency room. It's not an urgent care, just so you're aware. You find that true? That wasn't happening. And there was a consumer outcry over these bills. And there's now legislation uh, moving forward that will cause them to need to identify themselves as an emergency room and give you some information about pricing. Well, because the cost factor is phenomenal. Like you just mentioned, it's thousands of dollars. Correct. It can be as high as 10 times higher than an urgent care center. So if you have a sprained ankle or a knee or a shoulder, you fell off your bike, be careful where you go. And oh, by the way, does ice really work? Ice does. So um, ice elevation and um, as long as it's safe for you, anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, they're all very, very helpful for sprains and strains. And how about heat? I've heard heat. We're getting away from heat. Certainly, Is that right? Yeah, certainly for an acute injury in the first three days, you don't want to apply heat because you can increase blood flow to an area of injury and that can increase swelling. So later on, there may be a role for heat, but for those first few days, it's ice and elevation. Wow. Keep that in mind. And that is a change. I always thought it was heat and then ice. That's not true anymore. No. Well, here's a question that one of the ladies here at the station wanted me to ask because apparently it happened to her daughter. At what point, if they have a cut, a gash, how do you know if it needs stitches? How do you know it doesn't need stitches? Does a Band-Aid work? Do I need to go to the urgent care or emergency room to be safe? What do you think? Wow, that's a tough one. Well, um, it is. You know, after after doing this for 35 years, I can just look at a cut and know, but but a lot of people can't. Um, you know, if the bleeding stops quickly, if it is superficial and not deep, if it doesn't cross a joint, you know, those are the sorts of things where you can usually, there's a type of a Band-Aid called a butterfly that will actually hold um, wound edges together. And sometimes just butterflying a wound can be adequate. But that's another thing that if you're not certain of, um, urgent care can do stitching, and that's the most economical way to get it done. Good job. It's Dr. Ken Cohen. He's the chief medical officer with New West Physicians right here in Golden. But you're, you have a lot of locations now around the city. Uh, yeah, we have 20 practice sites all around the city. And again, your website? Uh, nwphysicians.com. And a phone number? If, you have, if people want to reach out with questions, do you do that? Uh, or is we, it get nuts doing that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the best thing to do is to call your individual office because yeah. that way you'll, you'll get a response from one of the physicians. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And any last words for summer travel or sun exposure here in Colorado, something maybe we've not covered today and we should uh, be aware of? Well, the one thing we didn't talk about is altitude. Oh. And, and that's important. So remember that as you're going up higher and higher, even though we're acclimatized to 5,000 feet, we may not be acclimatized to 14,000 feet. And as you go to higher and higher altitudes, if you're having headache or shortness of breath or chest pain, you know, those are times that you need to stop, turn around and get to a lower altitude. So hydration doesn't help that. Is that like an altitude sickness problem where you drink more water that kind of helps with that? Part of it is related to hydration, but part of it is related to the absolute altitude. So even if you're well hydrated, you can have serious altitude symptoms. And that also varies hugely. One person may get it and another person may not. So just coming down a few thousand feet makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Wow. There's something to keep in mind because people think, well, I'm used to living in Denver. Me, no problem to go up to 14,000 feet, right? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And if you're bringing company to town from sea oh. level, 
My, you better start them when they hit the airport. So, and we do that with our friends here. Oh, here's, I made that something. mistake when I first moved out here. I, I, I flew my brother out and took him to twelve thousand feet the first day, and he was just miserable. Oh my god, yeah, that's a lesson you learn quickly. How, yeah, it's good to acclimatize at Denver altitude for a day or two before you go up to higher altitudes when you're coming from sea level. And how long does it take you to recover from that incident? Is it immediate if you come down lower elevations, or are you going to be laying around the house for a few days not feeling good? No, if you descend quickly, the response is almost immediate. And that's any time of the year, really, though, not just summertime. If you go to that, I mean, winter has no effect on that. No, we see that all the time in people coming out here to ski. That's good. Well, Dr. Cohen, it's been great. I've even learned stuff, and I'm old. Well, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Again, that's Dr. Ken Cohen. He's the chief medical officer with the New West Physicians Group. Well, in Golden's where he is, but locations all over the metro area. And thank you guys for listening today. Enjoy your summer. Keep the sunscreen happy and uh, handy and be careful traveling with the family. And thank you for listening to Mile High Magazine. I'm Murphy Houston, and we'll talk to you all next week. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. An African-American community that's healthy in mind and spirit, filled with individuals taking responsibility for their own health, is the vision of the Center for African-American Health in Denver. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Complementing their health emphasis, the center is one of only a few locations statewide offering a master course in retirement planning for seniors as part of their senior wellness outreach. In addition to screenings and distributing a wealth of health education materials, the Center for African American Health also hosts a health fair in January and Destination Health, a 5K walk run in Denver City Park in July. More on that in a moment from their executive director, Ms. Deidre Johnson. She joins us again for this edition. We just started. Within the first year, we have 1,000 people in our panel, which is very exciting. Initially, we're using it to inform our work. So we've been asking them kind of what do they want to see the center doing. We've had instances where the reason we um, did the RTD pass question was a staff member was um, engaged in community because they knew RTD was having these meetings. And someone said, you know what, we need to let them know what we need. And so we just put the question out and then we're able to approach RTD during this work group meeting and say, hey, this is what this group of people is thinking. Yeah. And then we actually just want to get to the point where primary goal is to have a safe place where we know what the community needs because as things bubble up, what should the center be advocating for? Yeah. And yeah. so it really informs our work, but also down the road, um, if someone wants to know, hey, what what do people in 80205 think about a grocery store versus some other topic? Sure. De-identified. And we track by zip code and gender. So just very basic things, just so we can kind of tell the story. But I'm very excited about it. It's the um, first Be Heard or first actually community health panel in the nation that's not housed at a university, yeah. but within a community-based organization. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. Because when I first took over the center, my predecessor was telling me that in 2011, we had done a survey of churches and had 2,000 respondents. Well, our state health department, the most they've ever gotten is 200. And so to me, that it's all about who's asking. That is is absolutely true. They trust who's asking. They'll respond. If they don't, eh, they may not. Are you finding at the center that there's more of an interest in health from uh, younger people? There may be uh, more mature, older adults. I really think it's across the board. Okay. I I do think 
older adults are also when we when we talk to people about you know what are things that we should start doing. Yeah, the number one priority across all ages is mental health. So we're looking at that. Okay. But another aspect that older adults will point out is what can we do for our youth? What can we do for our children? And so another exciting thing that happened this year is we started our own youth leadership advisory group. Okay. It's called We Out Here. <laughs> we Out Here. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we landed on that name after listening to them. And that's kind of growing nicely. We're getting ready this summer in partnership with some scholars to offer some parenting programs. And within the next year, we'll definitely be doing more around early childhood as well. But doing all this stuff, then you're on a growth curve. We are. But if, but if anything, it's... We'll probably be, I was telling someone, it's, more, it's going to be more like an octopus because we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And what we've been doing recently anyway is even though we're in Northeast Denver, we have classes in Montbello, Green Valley Ranch, Aurora. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we need to be where the people are. And so whether that's partnering with a church or a rec center or maybe a new location that we identify. Sure. We're kind of in that process of thinking that through. But my... um. The drum I like to beat is we've got to be responsive to what people, because everybody knows what the needs are, but what do people want? What are they ready for? And how can we bring it to them rather than expecting they have to distort their lives to make their way to us? True, true. Coming up, you have Destination Health. Yes. I think it's what, fifth or sixth year? It's our eighth year. Well, I don't have that many (laughs) fingers on my hands to count. Eighth year. (laughs) Yeah. Great. In City Park, tell us every now and then you change the course. Um, you add other stuff to it. It's coming off in July. July 28th. Okay. It's a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, we start bright and early. It's our Destination Health one mile 5K kind of walk, run, and um, health expo. Registration starts at 7, so we start bright and early. Race itself starts at 8. And usually by 9, everyone's finished, even if you're walking the 5K. And we've got line dancing, fun activities. One of the new things that's new this year that also um, was suggested by the youth is we've always, the past couple of years we've had an obstacle course for kids, but the youth suggested that we get kind of these giant games. So we've had seven games. So there'll be a giant chess set, giant checkers. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. And that was the idea that came from We Out Here Kids. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're going to have that as well. So that anybody listening will say, oh, it's a race. I don't want to race. It's called the race. There is a division where some may be going against time and each other. But for the most part, that's not happening. So not, anybody can yeah. come out and walk it, can come out and jog it, or going, going to be, and just enjoy and use the opportunity to get fit, uh, maybe start at the practice of, of running or jogging or walking. It's a good place to start that. So it says race, but but don't let that stop you from, from getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning and coming out and enjoying it. Right. And the, the nice thing about it, and people who've, who are new to it always say, you know what, this isn't a 5K. This is this is kind of like a party at which there happens to be a 5K. Yeah, <laughs> that happens to be a 5K. <laughs> people can come out individually or they can come as a group maybe with their church group or maybe a group that they're um, a working group or uh, if it's a fraternity sorority, maybe a social services group. So um, people can enjoy it in a number of kinds of ways then, if I'm correct. Yes. So registration um, has been open. You can sign up individually or as a team. Uh, Registration, there's an online place for it. Yes. So it's um, you can go to the center's website and 
look for our destination health event. So we would you would go to caahealth.org okay. or give us a call. Um, we can get them connected. The other wonderful thing about it is in addition to it kind of being a event that helps promote physical activity in the community. Sure. One of those social determinants of health is social connection. And, you know, historically and especially these days, there are not a lot of opportunities where you can just come and know that there'll be three, four hundred plus folks from the community just meeting, chatting, having fun, learning about health and being together. One of those determinants of health is social connection, social connection. And for especially for more mature adults who may be aging in place and some of your friends have relocated elsewhere and that kind of thing, coming to an event like this, we can make some new friends or bring some of the ones you have that become very, very important. Or volunteer for us, too. We've got a lot of folks that volunteer that day. Mm-hmm. More adults in their 40s and above tend to want in-person contact. Youth use a lot of texting and and using that to, to their cell phones to stay connected. But this is an event where youth can actually maybe put a real face on the person that they're texting. Yes. And in fact, that's why we reached out to, we've got a, about 18 young people. Mm-hmm. And so we're having them reach out to their peers and giving us good ideas, how to make it more relevant to them and also how to make it meaningful Yeah, for youth. Really, the only concern that's come up from them is that's kind of early in the summer <laughs> as far as start time. But the reason I'm excited about the We Out Here kids and the input we've gotten from them is they're also helping us to inform during the school year yeah. what should our work with them look like. During the school year, that's, I guess, keeping kids connected with health, especially during lunches where they maybe just want junk food or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess the challenge is, is to keep it on the top of their mind with healthy eating and at least spend half the time with healthy eating, even if you got to go get some Cheetos later. Right. And at the end of the day, the best messenger is that peer messenger because they're not going to listen to us. So if they see their peers doing carrot sticks, they're going to go do carrot sticks too. Right. Or drinking more water and less soda. That's why um, not only do we want to hear from youth about what they need, we know whether it's, you know, health, mental health, physical health, they listen to one another. Yeah, And so if we can grow that cadre of leaders um, that are their peers, those waves ripple out over time. And I know and this isn't the time of year for it, but I think in February, January, February, you have another health event. Yes. So we we try to be in February when we can. Next year, it was pretty – next year we're going to be in March again. Yeah. It's our annual collaborative health fair. So next year we'll be back at the Renaissance Hotel on Quebec. So we'll be looking forward to getting information about that during the Christmas holiday season or just after in, right. in, uh, in January. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that men are becoming more conscious about their health? Ladies always are, or at least ladies tend to be, or maybe y'all been faking us out like that all the time. <laughs> so are men starting to become more tied in um, because guys always like to walk around, well, we're, I'm an iron man. That's going to happen to me. I don't have it to worry about. You know, I think it's still that kind of that same struggle. You know, even when we've done diabetes self-management programs, oftentimes it's the spouse that comes in to kind of relay that information back. And not to say that men are completely ignoring it, but I don't, I don't think that dynamics changed. Well, I, and think, so, I, I think you're right. I think men, I think we, we know it's there. Mm-hmm. We know the info is there. 
but it goes back to putting it into action. Right. And I know how many guys have we lost to prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And we know you need to be checked 20 years ago. And they're still not doing it. I don't know if there's anything we can we can do to 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 get them to more internalize it mm-hmm. and put it into action the way ladies do. True, and it's also challenging because what the medical establishment advises keeps changing. So yeah, we have in the past offered prostate exams. Last year, we got a lot of pushback from medical people saying, "You know what." One school of thought is because of the danger of false positives, yeah. you shouldn't do that anymore. But that might be for all men. When you think about African-American men, the disparity is so high. So many of us are, so many of them are at risk that it's worth letting them know about the risks, but still offering the screening. And so we only did kind of an education session um, in March and part of it was because we didn't really communicate. You know what? We're still trying to figure out. Cause I don't want us to do anything just because it's always been done. Yeah. I want it to really be what is that most timely thing that needs to be done mm-hmm. um, to be in the best interest of the people we serve. What my the doctors on our board have really established is, yes, we realize that there's still kind of a firestorm of should you, shouldn't you. But the risk is so high for the men in our community. We still want to offer this screening as an option mm-hmm. as long as they know. Yeah, it's better to have it than not. Yes. Okay. But for a minute, so if anyone who's listening is wondering, like, what happened to the screening? It's really because we've wanted to be really thoughtful about, you know, just because we've always done it, we want to make sure it's what we should be doing yeah, sure. versus just doing it. In the few moments that we have left, um, I know the center really started its basics with churches, and I, I guess that's still your core group to reach out to well, actually, or to work through. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still work through churches. We have faith and health liaisons at um, network churches that kind of are our champions and help us recruit for programs, mm-hmm. and we also work with them to try to help their health ministries in any which way we can. But we're also, you know, not all of us are churched. Yeah. So it's really, we're trying to make sure we're everywhere. Yeah, sure. Or at least accessible. So just pushing things out, whether it's on social media, whether it's with a young professionals group. So we're just, we're not only going to the typical places we've gone, but those places we haven't been in the past, just so more of our community members can learn about us and we can figure out what they need and make that connection. Okay. All right. So Destination Health is July... 28th. 28th at 7 a.m. Bright and early before it gets too hot. In City Park. Yes. (laughs) And that early will be easy to find out there. There's usually someplace near the Museum of Nature and Science. We're right at the pavilion in the band shell. Okay. All right. Well, we want to make sure that that was there and catch up with the the center and all the good activities that you have going and knowing that African-Americans are becoming a lot more connected with health, which is a good thing. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Ms. Deidre Johnson, Executive Director of the Center for African American Health. We thank her for sharing a few additional insights to the center with us again on this edition. Again, their event, Destination Health, a 5K walk run, is set for Saturday, July 28th in Denver City Park. Information and registration is online at caahealth.org. Click on the Events tab. 
I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. Hi, it's Melissa Moore. Thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday morning. It is Mile High Magazine, and I love how we get to learn about different organizations all around town together every Sunday morning. And with us this morning is Sandy Austin. She is the executive director of Bionic Team. Sandy, good morning. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for having me here with you. Oh, it is my pleasure. So first off, what is Bionic Team? The Bionic Team stands for Believe It or Not, I Care, and I started it at Green Mountain High School uh, 14 years ago after four suicides within eight months. Oh, my goodness. Um, so where is it still at the same high school? Actually, no. Um, I have moved on to Pomona High School now, and so what had happened is they've had a lot of uh, influx of a lot of extra programming and everything, so mm-hmm. it's on the it's on the. Uh, it's on hold for right now, but there are going to be getting some things going again with it again. Oh, that is wonderful. And so Bionic, um, is it a statewide program? Is it local to different schools? What is it? So uh, 900 schools worldwide have inquired about starting it. So that's what's exciting is elementary through college across the world are interested in starting the Bionic team. A lot of them have it going full speed. So it's really exciting to see what's happening there. That is wonderful. And what exactly is the Bionic team? All right. So what it is is a school teacher or a school counselor basically leads the club at the school and they bring in new uh, student uh, leaders to be able to lead the students in the outreaches. So we reach out to new students mm-hmm. uh, to get them connected in the school. We reach out to students out with extended illnesses to let them know we care and get send them a get well packet. We send um, out uh, a, a, a care package to those that are out for uh, losses of loved ones in their mm-hmm. families. We have a prevent bullying by just saying hi program to reach out to the bullied students and help prevent bullying uh, by empowering bystanders to get involved. We have a stu- school tragedy team that reaches out to other schools that experience tragedy with a 30-foot poster just saying, hey, we care and we understand what you're going through or, or we um, are thinking about you during this difficult time. So Bionic obviously stands for Believe It or Not, I Care. Yes. Um, it is a team, and as you were just explaining, a teacher or a counselor at the school can start it. Yes. And then where do the students find out about it? How do you pick what students are going to be on the team? Is everybody welcome? How does that happen? Great question. Yes, everyone is welcome. And what's so exciting is the diversity of the kids that are on the team. At times I've had teachers come in and they need to talk to a student. They said, I can't believe that that kid is even in the same room as that kid because typically those types of cliques don't get along. Mm-hmm. She goes, it's amazing to see what's happening with Bionic. Everyone is welcome. There's no GPA, grade point average requirement or anything. Anyone who wants to join is welcome to come. Often we see that kids that we've reached out to want to join Bionic too because they want to reach out to others mm-hmm. like we help them. How is it run? Is it a typical club or organization? Like, what does that look like in a school? Yes, it's a school club. And so what happens is we do outreaches as needed. So for the new student breakfasts or lunches, that's once a month. For the um, lost team outreaches, it's once a month. Um, and then for students that are out sick for five days, that day, hopefully we can get that get well packet out. Mm-hmm. So it's on an as needed basis. Um, when students are bullied, we're hoping that students are reaching out right then uh, for other schools that experience tragedy. If we hear about a school shooting one day, we're hoping to get that poster out the next day to them with all the signatures of all the students and staff. 
That is wonderful. And obviously doing a lot of this takes funding. So how does that yes. work? Oh, in fact, just yesterday we were at Bandamere for 12 hours riding golf carts there. Okay. Uh, Bandamere's are great to do that. And then we uh, sell burritos. We do other different things. We go for grants. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get donations from different people. And so what's exciting is uh, we just won a grant from the Innovator Society with Community First Foundation. And as a school counselor, I have been running the bionic team and trying to help all these school, schools worldwide for 14 years. But we got a grant from the, uh, from the Community First Foundation. And so we will be able to start a nonprofit now and be able to really get out there and reach out to all those schools and help them. And so, um, but we do, uh, different various, uh, types of fundraising mm-hmm. to raise the money. So I know that you talked about starting this 14 years ago, and it was four suicides in your school that brought it about. But what was it for you? Like, what was your hope back then, like, that you were trying to do and trying to establish when you started Bionic? What I saw after thinking through and talking with the the families and the friends of those young men who had taken their lives, I saw that they were going through some some basic things that happen in life, um, some uh, tragedies, a loss of a loved one. They were out sick, or they were new to a stu- new to a school, and they were having a hard time getting connected. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, if we could have students reaching out to students going through those types of times, then hopefully we can get them the support they need. And then if what we saw with those young men is those things started spiral down as far as the depression started right. uh, escalating, things like that. And so what happens, what I, my hope and prayer through Bionic is that we can uh, reach kids during those times, then we can prevent anything from spiraling down into more serious mm-hmm. issues. What have you heard from schools who've implemented Bionic into their schools? Oh, uh, they've said that uh, we cre- it, we have helped to create a more caring climate there. Kids are looking out for each other. Um, at Green Mountain, one of the uh, uh, advanced placement teachers who had was a graduate of Green Mountain herself, and she was there during the suicide. She said, "Sandy." There has been a dramatic change into a more caring climate at our school. And she said, Bionic is the single uh, most significant factor in changing that. So what happens is kids are getting their eyes off themselves mm-hmm. and they're looking at the needs around them. And they say, hey, Bionic, we don't have uh, very complicated um, outreaches at all. It's very basic stuff. Mm-hmm. And so these kids um, during at school, they, they know how to do that. Then when they graduate and go on to college or into jobs, they're able to do those in, in they're able to, it becomes a lifelong, uh, lifelong skill. It, That's it just, what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, those are life skills life. that we all need to know. Oh, yes. You know, how to deal with the hard things that happen in life and how to be a compassionate member of society and reach out and just be there and say, I'm here, I care. Exactly. And it sounds like that's exactly what the students and probably the staff as well are learning. Oh, very, very true. And what's neat is that the staff is there seeing the different outreaches. They're able to speak to the kids mm-hmm. a little bit more. They are aware of what's going on more than more so than ever. And so they're seeing these kids reaching out. We have something called 1010 Eye Care Day in October, October 10th coming up. And we encourage everyone to reach out to 10 people that day, one person each hour for 10 hours to make a difference. And we have 1,500 students at Pomona. That could just think of a th- uh, you know mm-hmm. ten each of those people doing ten things that day, and right. so it really does make a difference in the school. And our hope is that people will like that feeling and like what happens, and then we'll continue to do that with their lives. So when students hear about Bionic and say, "Hey, 
I want to get involved with it. What are you, what are their reasons usually? They want to make a difference. They're seeing either they're seeing their friends are being touched. They're seeing the positive thing that's happening. And that's what's exciting. And we all love that. Whenever we see people being reached out to, we all need some positivity in our lives. And when we are seeing that something we did brought a smile to someone's uh, someone's face or a tear to someone's eye saying, thank you. I appreciate that. I've been so lonely. Or uh, for the kids that are bullied through our Prevent Bullying by Just Saying Hi program, the, our um, H's help get help um, typically from an adult to help stop the program, stop the bullying. And then the I is initiate contact with, with that bullied student sometime that day. And so when they're seeing but that by reaching out to that student saying, hey, it was wrong, you didn't deserve that. And they're going, I can go back to school now. And so uh, mm-hmm. the kids are able to save face. Those bullied students are able to save face and come back. And so they're seeing that they are able to make a difference in someone's life mm-hmm. and thinking, I mean, that's one of the best feelings that we can have is by seeing that we made a difference in someone else's life and gave them some hope and some courage. And it's just incredible. It's, it's a great feeling. And if you're just joining me, um, we're talking to Sandy Austin. She is the executive director of Bionic Team. It was started here in Colorado. It's Believe It or Not, I Care. And as we've been talking, you told me that it's gone worldwide. Yes. How did that happen? Oh, so what's exciting is um, I was the president of the Colorado School Counselor Association. And as the counselors in the state were hearing what we were doing, they said, Sandy, you've got to present it at the American School Counselor Association Conference. And so we presented there several times, about five conferences. And that's how the international schools have heard about it. Okay. And so, uh, for example, Belize, Belize City, Belize, um, St. John's Junior College. It's a, it's a high school and college together. They have an incredible team. It's been going on for about 10 years. And and so they have different teams there. Mm-hmm. So um, we have different types of teams with on the bionic team. The, instead of a school tragedy team, because they don't have school tragedies over there, they have a natural disaster team. Oh. So when a hurricane comes in or a tidal wave, they go into the communities and help those communities. And so every school can pick and choose what they want to do, mm-hmm. uh, what what are the needs of their school, and they can have unique uh, or, you know, some of the same teams with that within their bionic team. And I know your background is counseling. Yes. But you said a teacher or a counselor can start it at any school. What kind of training do they need? Uh, not a whole lot of training. Uh, we have a starter kit manual that if they contact me or go to bionicteam.org uh, to inquire, we can send them the information. And as part of the Innovator Society Community First Foundation grant that we're getting, uh, we are creating that starter kit manual so they can just go on bionicteam.org, put on there that they're interested. Even parents can can see that if they're saying, hey, I want that at my school mm-hmm. or community members saying, hey, I want that at my my local schools, uh, they can contact us and then we can start that uh, that process. Because I can imagine that it sounds wonderful. So tragedy happens. And I think a lot of times um, somebody who's not a counselor who started a bionic team may feel a little overwhelmed and think, man, I'm not equipped to handle that. Definitely. And what's interesting is that every school has their ways of dealing with tragedies. And so what's good is with the bionic team, uh, the teachers or whoever's dealing with the bionic team, if they're not a counselor, mm-hmm. then they'll be okay because they'll be able to do those basic outreaches and that type of thing. And then with our outreaches, we let them know that we care. And these are some of the out, these are some of the resources they can access in order to be able to help them if, with their dealing with their grief and that type of thing. So we just do the basic outreach. Mm -hmm. And then the school typically has other other backups for them. Okay, so it's more, I see you, I hear you, 
I see that you're hurting, but I'm not here to fix it. We're going to get the professionals involved to help you in that area. That's right. Exactly. So what is your dream? I mean, I know you just received the grant from the Innovator Society competition. A lot of money. What is your dream for Bionic? Oh, what I'm excited about, Melissa, is that um, my, it's been my dream to start a nonprofit so we can really reach out to these other schools. And But what's amazing is I've been getting churches calling and saying, our youth group needs a Bionic mm-hmm. team, women's ministries, uh, businesses, companies. Um, I would love to see the whole world doing bionic stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what, that's our dream for 1010 okay. is that if every single person does 10 things that day, just think of what an incredible world this would be like. But so that's it is people getting their eyes off themselves and looking at what the needs around them and people just caring about each other. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a big outreach or anything, but just saying, I care. I'm sorry to hear of your loss, and I care, and I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Right. Something like that. You know, I think about, you talked about new students being welcomed. Yes. But even companies, when you're the new employee, you know, it's it's a little nerve-wracking for the first few months about, okay, how does this lunch thing work? Where do I go on my breaks? You know, all of that. So I love the fact that you see it as bigger than just the schools. Oh, and that's what's amazing. These kids that are graduating, going on to college, they want to start a bionic team at their college. But kids have told me when they've graduated from high school or college and have gone into the work work world, they said, Miss Austin, my company needs a bionic team because there are new there are new employees. There are, are employees out sick. There are employees that are hospitalized. There are employees that lose loved ones. There are other businesses that experience tragedy. We can reach out to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting is people, just it's kind of contagious to right. be able to help people and such a good feeling right it's and kindness it's yes compassion. it is it is exactly the things that we should all have for one another exactly that's right and i think it's such a great as we talked about earlier life skill that you're giving the kids mm, and yes. it can start in elementary middle school high school Go on up through college, correct? Yes, exactly. All right. Exactly. And it, what's been neat is that people have been even saying, Sandy, you should come up with a package, a starter kit manual for businesses mm-hmm. so they can start it. And so right. that's our plan, too, looking at that, too, to see, to equip the businesses just to, and again, they're basic, basic outreaches, nothing big that human resources has to be in charge of or whatever. Right. It's just very simple. I love it. Well, if you're just joining us, Sandy Austin, the executive director of Bionic Team, it was started here in Colorado, believe it or not, I care started at a high school right here in Colorado and now has gone worldwide. I love your heart for doing this. Thank you so much for joining us today. And for people who want more information, maybe teacher, counselors, parents who want it in their child's school, where do they go? Great, Melissa. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege to be with you today and your listeners. So they can go to bionicteam.org and look there and we have all the information they can uh, look for information. We also have some bionic YouTube videos. They can kind of look there and actually see the outreaches taking place. Thank you for being here. I'm Melissa Moore. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning for Mile High Magazine. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine. A look at the issues and people shaping Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.